there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. Joining me now on the show, the man who stands at the intersection of boxing's return globally, uh, who also, it was revealed this past week, is an author as well, Eddie Hearn. Eddie, let's let's start there. Uh, when did you have time to write a book? During lockdown. I mean, it's the only time I'd ever get the opportunity to write a book. Um, I'm laughing because... My, uh, I was, I was sort of joking with my wife last night because obviously she knew that we were announcing today. I was like, "How does it feel to be married to an author?" <laughs> She's like, "Oh God." So it was just basically, I got a couple of approaches from people for me to write a autobiography about, you know, my experiences in boxing and all the great nights and stuff like that. And I kind of felt like I'm only 41; I may look a little bit older, but I think I've got a few more stories to unfold. And then I got approached by one publisher. It's just a book about um, mindset and strategy and, and work ethic and drive. It's called Relentless. Um, and and it, it, that's something that appealed to me, you know, talking about the business. And it looked back at a lot of the experiences I've had in the business. It might be, you know, when Jarrell Miller failed his three drug tests and we had to bring in Andy Rees and then getting beat at Madison Square Garden and then plotting the rematch and doing the deal with Saudi Arabia or doing the DAZN deal or, you know, going to Wembley for the first time. But it's, it's, it's an interesting read. And I felt like I learned a lot about myself when you write in it as well. I mean, I did have a little bit of help, Chris. You know, I won't tell you that I personally hand wrote every word, but they are my words. And, um, yeah, I think just during lockdown, before you know it, sort of after three or four weeks, you know, myself and the, and the writer, we got like a, a situation where we've got, we've probably got 80, 90% of it done now. So launches in October, pre-sales available now. And I know you've already bought yours, Chris, but I'll get, um, also sign your copy as well. You know, I'm, I'm on board. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure to read the, all the Eddie Hearn stories I've been yeah. able to experience for the last couple of years <laughs> firsthand. 
Um, all right, so let, let's just jump right into it here. There's a few things I want to hit on uh, specifically, and, and I guess we'll start with AJ and Tyson Fury, the announcement you made this past week, uh, which was confirmed by Tyson Fury, a two-fight deal. The question that's come to me a lot, Eddie, is what's the significance of this? You know, you've had, you know, you're not announcing that a deal is done. You're announcing the financial yeah. structure. Of and, a and to be honest, and to be honest, I think, Chris, the, the important word there is, you know, the deal that you announced. Not, not really, but I gave an interview saying that we had agreed with Team Fury and in writing as well from, from ourselves that we will proceed with a two-fight deal in 2021 on these agreed splits moving forward over the two fights. We know that they've both got a fight in between. We know that there's a couple of network questions to be answered as well. We know we've got to find a venue. But generally, when you get two fighters who you know, look at each other and say, I'm in, Right, And these are the terms, and I agree to that. The rest is the nitty-gritty down to the individual teams and the people to get over the line. We're under too much pressure not to get those over the line, to be honest. So the bigger concern and the biggest danger for the fight is more like a loss in between, to be honest with you, rather than the remaining elements of the deal. But whenever a financial element is confirmed and, and the guys are happy, generally they're willing to, to move forward. And it was a situation last week where I said to AJ, look, I'm going to confirm now that, you know, we know that we've got to um, finalise the contract, but are you in? You know, are you in on this split? Are you in for two fights? Are you willing to commit? And the answer was 100%. And when that was, you know, I feel like a lot of people have said to me, oh, you know, did you do that because you just felt like boxing needed a bit of a shot in the arm? Not really, but kind of. Because when I've got good news like that, and it's amazing news for the sport, and we're in this period, yeah, I want you to know. You know, I want you to know that next year is one of the biggest fights of all time and it will happen. So, um, yeah, I did say to Sky Sports at the time, guys, just to let you know, like the deal's not done, done, but if you could sign of phrase your story like that, I'd appreciate it. And the, the story actually says was, Hearn confirms AJ Fury is done or something like that. So I was like, thanks for that. The um, Did those negotiations go easier than you expected. I mean, you were part of the AJ Deontay Wilder back and forth, which went on for well over a year where tens of millions were effectively left on the table. Were these easier? I think they were because I think genuinely both guys, both teams want the fight. And, you know, we've been back and forward about the Wilder negotiations for so long, but I've been in there. You know, I was trying to speak to people on the phone. I was sending the emails. I had a couple of meetings with these people. I know deep down they didn't want that fight at that time. And I'm not saying that Wilder was scared. and what Wilder might not have even known. But sometimes you get the flavor where you think you're banging your head. You know, there were times during that period where I was sending like three, four, five emails a week or making a phone call, and I would not hear back. And then I would see an article on Boxing Scene saying, Hearn don't want the fight. You know, I'm thinking, am I going mad here? You know, in this instance, really what you over had to overcome was Team Fury is a big team with many different people involved. Um, on the AJ side, it's AJ and he's my boss and it's me, you know, and it's his management team. But generally in terms of negotiation, you, you're dealing with me. And, but it doesn't matter how many people are on one team or if you want the fight, you make the fight happen. And everybody, I think, just realizes, especially coming through the pandemic, we have to do it. Like, whether you like it or not, we've got to do it. We're idiots if we don't do it. And Fury wants it. And Joshua wants it. And there's so much money in the fight. 
So whether you're in it for greed or ego or legacy, it ticks every box. So, and I think everyone just said, and that's why I'm very confident that even with a couple of hurdles to overcome, you know, we, we will have it done. You really do stand at the intersection of a lot of things, and this fight in particular, because I'm half envisioning you over the last week, one day, like, AJ, we got a deal. And then, hey, Dillian, don't worry, I got your back. Hey, <laughs> Alexander Usyk, don't worry, I've got your back too. I mean, you promote two men that are going to and have publicly said, I want a title shot before Fury Joshua takes place. I mean, how is that all going to play out? Well, I think I feel like when you have a, a big promotional company, you're always spinning plates. Mm. Um, and it's difficult because I just gave an interview just now where I said, you know, you make the AJ Fury fight. It's the biggest fight in boxing, right? And you make it and it's like, yes, you made it. Whoa, great. And then the next day, it's like, you're a disgrace to Dillian Whitehearn. You know, what are you going to do? And people don't realize the work that goes in behind the scenes for Dillian White. No, he's been terribly, terribly done by over the last few years. And I will say this, and this, this should give my honest opinion of the situation. Dillian White should have priority over Anthony Joshua in terms of fighting Tyson Fury next. Mm. I really believe that. And, you know, he is due to fight him by the end of February 2021. I'm happy for that fight to happen. I want Dillian to fight him. Listen, I'd rather it was Dillian against AJ for the undisputed championship of the world. Mm. But ultimately, we need to see and we need to make sure that the WBC enforce that. We have to see that Deontay Wilder, who's been extremely quiet, does actually come out and take this rematch. And if he doesn't, Dillian White should slot straight in. But I'm pushing the WBC to say, by the end of February, Tyson Fury must fight Dillian White. Now, the problem we have is... And we saw this exact same situation with Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko. And I feel like this is so wrong for boxing. And look, listen, I class Maurizio Suleiman as a friend of mine. He'll speak out if I do something wrong, and I will do the same for him as well. Mm. The franchise championship is no good for the sport of boxing because when we were with Devin Haney trying to fight for the WBC world title, we committed ourselves to that governing body. We paid the sanction fees. We moved up. We challenged for the regional belts. We challenged for the silver championship. We got ourselves in a final elimination fight. We took that final eliminator that was actually for the interim belt as well because Lomachenko was having uh, the undisputed fight. And finally, he beat Zawa Abdelev and he is the mandatory challenger for Vasily Lomachenko. Now we get to find out, now the fans get to find out if Devin Haney is the real deal. Two weeks later... At the convention, top-ranked request that Vasily Lomachenko be elevated to franchise champion. That gets approved. He's untouchable, right? Mm -hmm. Devin Haney's done all this work. When you chase a great like Vasily Lomachenko, you should be applauded by the fight fans to say, wow, you're going after Lomachenko? Yes. But if you, how can you ever become great if you can't, you get to the point where we can find out and then it's just ripped away from you. So in this instance, all of a sudden, Devin Haney becomes, via email, really, the WBC world champion. He's elevated from interim champion. Now, he doesn't want that. And we're over the moon to be WBC world champion, by the way. It's an honor. But he wants to fight the champion. He wants to rip the belt. He wants to hear those words and the new. He doesn't want any question marks by the fans. Yeah, you're not a real world champion. You're this, you're that. So it was disappointing in that respect. And it's the same for Dillian White against Tyson Fury. I don't want... Fury to become world champion and 
the WBC to elevate Dillian White from interim world champion to world champion. Because he won't ever feel like he's beaten the world heavyweight champion. He's become the heavyweight champion of the world. And by the way, I don't want AJ to fight Fury for the franchise championship. Mm. Because some people might then say, well, it's not undisputed. It's not this. It's not that. Keep it simple. As a champion, you have mandatories. Anthony Joshua has two mandatories right now. Kubrat Pulev, which he will deal with next. And then Alexander Usyk. Now, we do have an issue with Alexander Usyk. He has to get his shot at the world heavyweight title. Maybe AJ boxes him in the spring. Anything's possible. But we can't ignore the fact that the biggest fight in boxing is AJ against Joshua. Unquestionable. There's nothing even close. So it's our job collectively as a sport to make these kind of fights. And we can't just let politics get in the way, but we mustn't ignore people's rights at the same time. You know, I've seen it with Aaron. Oh, Dillian White, what does he matter? He's just another Tom Schwartz. How disrespectful. This guy's beaten numerous top 10 contenders and has been number one in the world for about 500 days. He's not on... Some mandatory challenges are, I believe, I'm not sure they're the most deserving challenges in the world. Dillian White is the most deserving mandatory challenger I think we've seen for a long time. So give him his opportunity. But you know, we, we have also got to stay focused on this, this mega fight, which could change boxing. And right now, our sport is, is a, a, a transition moment where we've gone from loads of momentum to how are they going to come out of this? Mm-hmm. Right, especially in America, not over here. Here, we've built such a strong product, we'll bounce back immediately and we'll be fine. In America, I really feel like we're at a pivotal time where if we don't start giving fans value for money, great fights, big fights, marquee fights, we may not bounce back. And, and we, we need to do more than just bounce back because we still had a lot of work to do before the madness kicked. Um, just, just to kind of pick up on on the how this all plays out i mean is it your preference that you know aj is going to fight pulev at some point is it your preference that his next fight be against tyson fury or are you in favor of him taking a risky fight against alexander usik you know in between i think you know in all this situation when you represent a lot of fighters you have to you have to represent them individually on a case by case scenario so what i do for dillian wyatt I mustn't ever have my Anthony Joshua hat on. Do you know what I mean? So we keep it simple in that respect. So with Dillian White, we must get him a shot at WBC world title. Even with Alexander Usyk, I know it might sound weird, but we've got to deliver him what he's been promised. Now, if Usyk doesn't want to wait, if Usyk's not interested in another fight for loads of money or maybe signing a contract to fight the winner of Fury against um, AJ, then that's the situation we're in. And we'll go to Paco Balcazar and they will make their decision. And I have to say, you know, Alexander Usyk, although he hasn't stepped aside to allow Pulev against uh, AJ, the IBF were first, but on the proviso now that the winner of that fight fights Alexander Usyk. You know, he's also, he's, he's ages past many of his buy during the, the, the pandemic, and he's thinking, no, I, want my, I don't want to wait. I want my shot at the World Heavyweight title. So he needs to be pushing for that. And Alex Krasuk from K2 will be pushing for that as well. Listen, maybe Fury against AJ is not an undisputed fight. I wouldn't stop it from happening if it wasn't, but wouldn't it be fantastic if we got a chance for that fight to be for all the marbles? Do you think, Eddie, like a solution that makes some sense, given the enormous pot of money that's going to be present in an AJ Fury fight, 
is to have White fight, uh, you know, Usyk as the co-main event. Is that even a thought to you at this point? I mean, is that even feasible? Uh, not really, because point? I just think both guys want their shot at the world heavyweight title. So that's such a risky fight for both. Do you know what I mean? The thing, like, if you put that to him, Chris, they go, "Why? Why should I fight?" You know, unless unless both governing bodies turn around and went tough, it's the undisputed. Then okay, then then it's a conversation. But right but now, is it, is it worth it to them to fight for a, like Fury's not going to fight Dillian White? You know that. Like he is. No, he, well, he, he will. I believe he would. No, I believe Fury would fight Dillian White if he was mandated. Not before AJ. To. Like I think he he's even said it. He said the lineal title is worth more to him than the actual belt. Like I, yeah. I just don't. I don't see him doing it. No, but legally we have to enforce the rights of Dillian White. So mm. we'll we'll see what happens in that respect. Deontay Wilder wouldn't fight Dillian White. I truly believe that. You know, and Alexander Usyk will, will, I believe, fight anyone. But both those guys are focused on the world heavyweight title. I think to turn around to him and say, tell you what, it's like Bob Aram said the other day, well, you two fight each other and we'll see what happens. Mm. Again, they ain't got to fight each other. They're mandatories for those respective champions. So let's play that out, play their rights out, and see the decisions that the governing bodies make. Mm. I, I mean, I just think money talks sometimes. And if that it does, is- but also, you know, you, you get to a stage where both guys, particularly Dillian White, pretty pissed off, to be honest with you. Yeah, he should you know be. I mean? He yeah. should be. So he's I mean, like, he's no, now, now he goes into a fight with Alexander Povetkin. Mm-hmm. I mean, coming out, no crowd, like, you know, it ain't an easy mm-hmm. fight. Mm-hmm. It's another top 10 guy that he's fighting. Mm-hmm. Have you have you targeted a date for Joshua and Pulev yet? Have you reached that point with... Not really, because I think, I mean, I'm speaking from a UK perspective here, Chris, that I really believe that we're going to start seeing crowds coming back maybe as early as late August, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um, certainly September, October. And really, that would be fantastic to be able to do that fight with a crowd. So really, I feel like the Pulev fight will probably happen in November. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a very minor knee niggle, which he had wrapped up, which will be coming off shortly anyway. So that's not going to cause many problems date-wise. So I expect that fight to happen around November. Mm-hmm. All right, so you were also... Uh, in the news last week or so with the sort of crumbling of Regis Progray and Maurice Hooker, that fight. I mean, that was an anticipated fight for the summertime. Still in Uh, it. Still in the crumbling. Still still in the crumbling process. Mm -hmm. The, you know, Brian McIntyre, the trainer for Maurice Hooker, told me no way he would go below 147. You've clearly had conversations uh, with Hooker over the, the last week. I mean, where does that stand? I mean, I talked to Progray this week and he you know, reiterated that he's not going above 144. I've heard maybe he goes to 144 and a half, you know, for the right amount of money. Where, you know, how did this all kind of come apart and where does it all stand? I mean, it's extremely disappointing because we had a deal in place in, um, for April the 17th, at 143 pounds. You know, Maurice has already said, I want to retain or regain my world heavyweight, my world uh, 140 pound title. That's my focus, right? So we did the fight at 143. Obviously, it got cancelled. Then we came back and, you know, it was like, okay, well, um, the weight might be an issue. Well, it's like it's only two months after you were supposed to fight. So we'll put it up a pound, 144. No, I need it at 145. Regis Prograde, you know, quite rightly is saying, look, you know, it was at 43. I'll give you another pound, but I'm not giving you two pounds. Like Regis would rather it was at 140. Mm-hmm. So it's extremely disappointing. And, you know, I think Bomax come back now and said, no, I want him up at welterweight. And, you know, we've now got a decision to say, well, 
what do we do with Marie Sucker? You know, we're looking at a couple of alternative fights. It's interesting now because both guys are like saying, well, I'll stay on the show, get rid of him. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, and, and one of them probably will go. But it's a case of who's the dance partner because I'm not prepared to come back with a one-sided fight mm. or rubbish because we've seen too much of it in the last couple of weeks. It's not a dig at top rank. They've got a job to do as well. But no one wants to watch guys who aren't household names, who aren't five-star names in uncompetitive fights. So we have to use this opportunity to reset boxing. And we will lose some. There'll be some casualties on the way, Chris. You know, we'll lose some fighters. And we'll have to say to some fighters, I'm sorry, you know, might be the end of your contract or, you know, and you haven't been delivering the numbers or the money's just not there anymore or you're not prepared to take the fights that we want to make. We have to be tougher now and say, I'm sorry. You know, and, and for Maurice Hooker, that might be, look, you were supposed to fight at 143. With three months later, it's 144. That's the number, you know, or, or, or pro-grade. You know, you either take it at 145 or, you know, I don't want to be unreasonable, but we just can't afford to... to to deliver poor quality. So if it's Regis Prograde against X, X has to be a real fight. And if it's Maurice Hooker against X, X has to be a real fight. And we've got some interesting fights we're working on. You know, this has all evolved quite quickly. There is still the sniff of, you know, Sam Katowski and Lou DiBella and, and Dino Duva saying, any movement from Team Prograde, any movement mm. from Team Hooker. I mean, we are only a pound away. Mm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that you know, the call comes in and goes, do you know what? Regis phones up and says, oh, it's not ideal, but I'll smash him. I'm in at 145. Mm. Or Mo goes, you know what? I'll make the 144. But we seem to be at a stalemate. Yeah, they've been, Regis told me they've been direct messaging each other, just yeah. sniping back and forth, trying to, mm. you know, mostly Regis trying to say, take the fight, take the fight. Mo saying, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a welter. One thing I said to Regis though, and I'm not sure what's there for him at 140 right now. I mean, He's in, he's in the right here. There was a contract. He's willing mm. to go up. But yeah. going back to 140, I don't know about you, but I, I don't see anything there. I mean, Jose Ramirez is eventually going to fight Josh Taylor. Mm. Uh, and the winner of that fight's gone. They're going to 147. Yeah, I agree. But I think the, the problem for Regis is he's not a welterweight. Yeah. So, like, he, you know, what, what are your choices, really? You know, you can't just move up in weight because there's no time. I mean, there's some really good fights out there for him mm -hmm. at the moment. You know, I mean, you look at three or four of those um, you know, I like the Kano fight, you know, with Golden Boy, he, he knocked out Linares in a round. Mm -hmm. I like the, even the Giasov fight, which doesn't have much upside for Progre, but is actually a great fight as well. Um, you know, other big fights, even a Lewis Ritson fight in the UK uh, for Regis Progre. Chance to retain or regain his titles, much more difficult. That will evolve next year. But mm -hmm. I just think with Regis, Chris, he just wants to fight, you know, and he yeah. wants to be in a great fight. And Progray against Hooker was a great fight. I don't think we'll see it, but I'm still hoping in, in a strange way that the phone goes and they go, go on then, you know, we'll get it done. And <laughs> so, um, so we know in the U.S. what Golden Boy's plan is, at least somewhat. You know, they're going to come back probably July 24th, Virgil Ortiz, uh, if they can resolve some of these issues with Ryan Garcia, that may happen in August. Not a lot of clarity yet from you on what you're going to do in the U.S. market and when you're going to come back. What can you say about your plans at this point and who they might include? 
Well, the first fight back for us will be probably two weeks after that Virgil Ortiz fight. So we'll be um, somewhere around the 15th of, of August. And we're working out, we have another meeting with the zone on Monday to go through the entire schedule till the end of the year. That fight was due to be hooker against Progre. It will probably be, be one of those now against another big name. Also, Cecilia Breakhouse against Jessica McCaskill for the Undisputed Championship as well will find its way on that first show. And then when we move into September, we have the likes of um, Estrada against Chocolatito. For me, that's a, a wonderful fight to make for September. We have Devin Haney as well, possibly against Luke Campbell for the WBC world title. We also have Demetrius Andrade. We have Daniel Jacobs. You know, We have Billy Joe Saunders if he doesn't get the fight against Canelo Alvarez. So... We have a lot to fit in over that period. And I, th I feel like with the zone, you know, you've got to look at those three flagship guys right now of Anthony Joshua, Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. You know, three of the biggest stars in the sport. And you need to base the schedule around those three huge names. So, you know, if we can have our pro-grey hooker or, or a like, and we can have our Estrada against Chocolatito and Haney against Campbell and maybe Andrade against... Saunders and Callum Smith against Danny Jacobs and Canelo Alvarez, Anthony Joshua, Gennady Golovkin. That's a pretty horny schedule, you know, up until the end of the year. So that's what we're going to be trying to do. And I think um, over here, you know, there was an announcement yesterday from a UK promoter that they were coming back and we're coming back two weeks after them. And it's like, oh, you know, you didn't come back first. It's like, there's no rush. You know, there's no fighter that's saying to me, I want to go now. You know, it's almost like later the better for these guys to get the preparation right. And the later we go, the easier it will go. It will be from a testing point of view, you know, from a, from a pandemic point of view, from an administration point of view, from a bums on seats point of view as well. So I'm quite relaxed. You know, it's not a case of waiting and waiting and waiting, but I'd rather come back with the right stuff mm. than just any old stuff. Mm. One of the fights you didn't mention, at least I don't think you heard you mention, was... Uh, Tevin Farmer and Jojo Diaz, mm -hmm. the rematch between those two. And there was some back and forth this week about Jojo was told Golden Boy he wants to fight his mandatory next. Mm -hmm. You know, Tevin and Lou DiBella have said, no, you know, you signed the rematch clause. Yeah. You have to take that fight. You are, the, I believe, the lead promoter yeah. on that fight still. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that fight and making it happen? I think everything that you said was correct. Uh, I've seen the comments um, that he wants to fight the mandatory. Very strange move. I mean, that's quite a tough Russian kid there. And then, you know, there's Let's a also establish that the mandatory can't actually happen because how do you ha get a Russian into the US or vice versa? Like that yeah. to me is a little but, but that, but that That will change soon, Chris, as well. You know, there's a lot of people saying, how do you bring a, uh, an international fighter over to the US? That, that, I think that will evolve. But the bigger issue is, is number one, that's quite a tough fight and a low profile fight. But number two, he, quite rightly, there was a contract signed with a rematch clause. So again, you know, this is going to play out. A lot of this, as we saw in the Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua situation, a lot of this is a play to try and get more money. Bad time to ask for more money. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? In general, in the world right now. So I would like to see jo Jojo Diaz. And, and, you know, this is something that really applied to Andy Ruiz. And I think, I think this definitely played on Andy Ruiz's mind during the problems was... You, you went into this fight knowing what your commitments were, you know? Mm -hmm. So as an individual, as a person, as a man, come on, let's, let's not fuck around here. Excuse my language. Mm -hmm. You got an opportunity 
to fight for this title. It wasn't a mandatory defence. You were essentially picked by Tevin Farmer to fight. And we, and we, us as well, because it was a good fight. People wanted to see it. So you have to return the favour. The Percy's were agreed. You, you were happy with them. You can't change your mind once you sign the contract and then you win and now actually what I meant was, oh, uh, you know. So, listen, it's up to the individual, but for sure, Tevin Farmer, Jojo Diaz is a fight that should happen in that schedule as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Canelo being in, you know, if he doesn't take Billy Joe Saunders as the next fight. How involved are you now in these Canelo discussions? Are, is Golden Boy or Canelo's team still talking to you about Saunders or is it your impression that that's the fight's off the table? I think um, right now they're really establishing where the fight's going to be, the budget for the show. You know, is there going to be a crowd? I, I sent an email to Eric Gomez a couple of days ago just saying, look, trying, but we had a deal in place for Billy Joe Saunders. We understand it's not in place anymore, but we want the fight and we're happy to talk about the fight. Everybody's being asked, Chris, at the moment, because, you know, or until the crowds return, if you want to fight now, here is the new deal. Do you know what I mean? If, if you want to wait till later in the year or maybe next year, of course, that will be honoured. But if you want to get out, if you want to progress your, your career, you have to understand the game's changed. The landscape's changed. And, and that question will probably be asked of Canelo Alvarez by Golden Boy to say, we have no gate anymore. Mm. So we were going to take $8 million. Now we're not. So what's happening to that $8 million? Mm. You know, do we find a cheaper opponent? Do we try and... You know, look at having a smaller crowd. Do you take less money, Canelo Alvarez? That would be an interesting conversation. You know, um, so I've seen a lot of fighters come out and sort of say, who was the one the other day? Terence Crawford. You know, don't think you're paying me any less money in a pandemic. All right, well, maybe you have to wait. He said that a few times. Yeah, Maybe he says, okay, we'll wait. You know, but it's the guys I feel that want to progress their career. Some guys, like AJ, for example, we were supposed to fight in uh, June. So he's going to fight in November. No problem. But other guys, they need to fight. They need, And I feel like the ones that are going to take the chances now are the ones that can really establish themselves as a star during this moment. And the ones that sit out and go stale are going to go into, you know, um, just, just irrelevance, if you like. Mm-hmm. So it's an important time for fighters to make the right decision as well. Mm-hmm. The um, the So y- your impression is that Canelo's going to fight someone different than Billy Joe Saunders. I think, I think the, the options for him is to come back and maybe offer Billy Joe Saunders a new deal. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't listen, maybe Billy Joe Saunders doesn't want to take any less than, than what he agreed. Or they try and find a cheaper opponent. But is that an opponent that is going to be approved by the zone? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. a cheaper opponent means a fight that people generally aren't interested in. So, you know, we've got to get the balance right. Everybody's just got to understand. We've all got to dig in right now. And we've all got to do our bit. Doesn't mean you should fight for, you know, money that you don't feel represents your value. But we just have to understand that at this moment in time, things have changed and we need to get back on our feet and all move forward collectively as as a team, you know, in terms of the team of the fighter you represent. Golden Boy seems to have established that Indio Fantasy Springs is going to be there kind of behind closed doors locations, at least in the early part of this um, have you settled on a location uh, in the U.S. that you'll do these types of fights? It's, it's a bit of a sort of running joke between the team where you know, the obvious places right now are under consideration. You know, Vegas is 
a place that makes sense because it's been done and it's been used. And Florida was up for discussion, but it looks to be getting worse there, uh, the situation. So I think that's off the table. I want to do something really quirky, right? Like over here, we're doing it in our head office, in the garden, mm -hmm. right? And that will start at the end of July in fight camp. So in America, I want to do something different. But I'm kind of getting laughed at by my, my team there in New York saying, Eddie, like, it's, it's hard enough as it is. What do you want to do? You know, I was talking about the foot of Niagara Falls or something like I don't know. But I just, I just want to do something different. And I want to do something that gets people's attention. Mm -hmm. So I've got some very quirky ideas up my sleeve, uh, Chris. And, you know, we had a call with the zone this morning and we see him again on Monday. And Monday for us is our sort of meeting to establish all the dates, all the shows for the remainder of the year and also where we're going to do it. So... I guess they'll all listen to me and laugh and hopefully someone will believe in me. So the backyard shows are happening. Like that yes. is, that is They're going 100% to happen. happening. This is our fight island here in Brentwood in Essex. And uh, they'll begin, it looks like, July 25th. So mm -hmm. that'll be a four-week period, one show a week, culminating in Dillian White against Alexander Povetkin. Mm -hmm. Now, one fight I heard was having some difficulty was the long-talked-about Taylor Serrano fight. Uh, where Katie would fight uh, Amanda Serrano at maybe what I guess 140 or 135, and uh, a big fight we've been talking about for years now since you mm. you know started to zone. I mean, how is that fight still going to happen? Do you think? I'm trying. I'm trying. It's just it's just I'll be quite honest with you, Chris. It's just a money issue, really. You know, I mean, Katie Taylor only really wants to take that fight. You know, she's geared up for that fight. She wants that fight badly. I think Serrano wants that fight as well. You know, I'm pretty sure, but. We were about to do it in Manchester in front of 20,000 people. And we're now doing it in my back garden in front of zero. So you can imagine the challenges, but I'm trying to find a way to make that happen. If I can produce White against Povetkin and Taylor against Serrano on the same night, I think that's a big night for the sport. So it's going to be expensive. It's going to cost me money. But I think it's important that we come back with substance and significance rather than just bundling a couple of guys together because we've got to get boxing back quickly. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to ask you is, you know, you mentioned your meetings with the zone and talking about a fall schedule. Uh, how would you characterize both your, you know, business relationship with the zone right now? And I mean, a lot of talk about, you know, is the zone going to stay in this? Are they going to be part of boxing long-term? I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like the zone's commitment to be a part of boxing is still as strong as it once was? Yes, I do, unquestionably. I mean, you, know, we, you see the rumours and the bot accounts that are sort of litter, littering the, uh, the Twitter sphere, mm. and you, you wonder and you worry, I guess it can only be a compliment, why so many people are so desperate for DAZN to fail. You know, if you're a fight fan, you should be funking for DAZN so bad because of the value they're, they're giving you. And we were on a great run, a great run. You know, when you look at Kovalev against Canelo in September and then Alexander Usyk and then Golovkin against Derevinchenko and then KSI against Logan Paul and then Anthony Joshua against Ruiz too. Like we were flying. Unquestionably, undisputed best schedule in boxing. Design. Not even close. And of course then we turn the year, you know, we start off in Miami, then we have um, Vargas against Garcia, you know, and we're flying again. And then COVID-19 hits. And it's a big kick in the proverbials, especially when you're a, a live sport platform and there's no live sport. I mean, it's not ideal, is it? So, you know, people say, oh, zone and struggling. Yeah, everyone's struggling. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's no secret. You know, there's a difference between struggling and struggling financially. You know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, this business has a, a remarkable track record and has some very smart, smart people and individuals that have a big view of the bigger picture that will change the face of sport. And I believe that in boxing, there is an opportunity, even more so now, to take control of this sport because too many people are doing it wrong. You know, and we've come in, we've done our initial job, which was come in, sometimes we spent a lot of money, but we established our brand in boxing, matchroom boxing and zone. We established ourselves as, in my opinion, the best stable in, in boxing, the best schedule in US boxing. Even when we were up against it, against the established brands of Fox and ESPN and Showtime, we were in there fighting. Every time you talked about Fox or ESPN, you spoke about zone. And we have to bounce back with this schedule. You know, and there is an element of getting through 2020. And so we kind of have to get through the year, but also give the fans value for money. But the bigger picture is about more of a global control over the sport of boxing. And I believe we're the people to do that. And the only way that the boxing game and the sport of boxing is going to get to the levels. You know, I saw Dana White's comments the other day about, you know, now ESPN, we're up there with, you know, not, not quite to to football and, and baseball, but we're up there and then you've got the boxings down there with cornhole or whatever you guys call it. Cornhole, and, yeah. And he's right. The ratings were horrific. But that just comes to show you that if you put on that kind of product, that's the kind of ratings you're going to get. That has nothing to do with a pandemic, by the way. You know, we just saw Premier League football launch here on Sky, record ratings, right? It's that nothing's changed. People still want to watch great sport, great entertainment. But boxing is too fragmented. You know, we need to get tougher. We need to get tougher on the managers. And like I say, maybe it ends up that we upset a few people along the way. But we are driven, matchroom to zone, to try and change the sport. And I believe we're the people to do it. But we do need wider control. And it's going to take time. But I, I really feel like, you know, from a zone perspective, no, no retreat. You know, no retreat, no surrender by any means. Mm. just probably be smarter mm. you know learn what we learned in the last year and three quarters evolve re-strategize reset and understand that the market has changed and it has the fighters the managers they've been having it off that's got to change now if you're good if you put bums on seats if you drive numbers nothing changes for you if you don't get better get bigger or you're not getting paid the same as those guys. So I'm in. I'm in the door. I've taken my shoes off. I've wiped, the, wiped them on, you know, on, the, on, the, uh, on the mat. And now we've got to make our way through the house and sit down and have a nice meal and, and stay in there. Stay in the house. You know, we're not going anywhere. It's going to be tough, but that's what we want. You know, I, I don't, as long as it's a level playing field, I'll win every time. And it is right now. And it's going to be really tough. You've got to be smart. You've got to be dynamic. You've got to have a relentless work ethic. But, you know, you've also got to have a partner that's going to support you. And I'm very comfortable where I am with design. I believe Dana had a choice word for Bob Arum at the end of that comment. Yes, about yes. Oh, I've been enjoying it. Whilst, as long as Dana White's <laughs> saying nice things about me and bad words about everyone else, I think he's a lovely guy. Uh, real quick, I had Mikey Garcia on recently, and I've talked to Freddie Roach a lot. Uh, they all want the Pacquiao fight. You know, that Mikey wants to fight Pacquiao. You've got a relationship uh, still with Mikey. He talked to me about that. Um, like, that feels like a Middle East fight. 
um, yeah, it does. And I think is. you will see. I mean, I think that you know everybody from a Middle East perspective. I think the focus is more on 2021, mm-hmm. you know, and, and getting the country back up and running and thriving. Maybe the end of the year, but I think more realistically, you're going to see 2021 um, sort of the relaunch of boxing in the Middle East. Um, again, Chris, you know, you look at Vegas and places like that. These guys, they're going to need to invest money to bring major events to their cities, to their resorts. And maybe Vegas start making a play now for bigger fights as well, even more so than the past. And, and you know, Pacquiao against Mikey Garcia is a big fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a huge fight. Um, hopefully we get to see that at some point in the next uh, year or so. Uh, Eddie, appreciate your time, man. Congrats on the book. Uh, I'm curious, like the book cover, like what are you looking at in that cover? Like where are you? I'm, like, looking, at my re- I'm looking at my reflection, Chris. <laughs> That Alex Rodriguez stuff. That's the yeah. they should have they should have shown your face like in June right after AJ no. got stopped and like no, had because that. you wouldn't have seen my face. It was just like that. <laughs> Maybe for the sequel. Uh, Eddie, appreciate the time, man. No worries, mate. Take care. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital. Rated R.